Welcome to Exposed. Real people, real stories, uncensored. You'll hear it all, as well as secrets from your host, Samantha X. Jay, welcome. Thank you. It's lovely to have you here. I feel like I'm with my um, teacher, so I'm going to be on my best behaviour. And I know that you've coached me, so I'm going to try and implement some of those coaching tools. You coach the Waratahs, bosses at KPMG, Fiji Rugby Sevens, Formula One, CEOs around Australia and me. You deal with people at the top of their game. Why do they need a coach? Everybody needs a coach to see their blind spots. So, you know, the fact that we have blind spots is what makes us human. And so everybody has blind spots. Point about a blind spot is you can't see them. So you need someone who knows how to listen and how to look with you at, you know, what it is that you can't see that you can't see. Everybody needs that. <clears throat> and everybody's got more potential than they think they've got. Right. So even people at the top of their game have got further they can go, maybe not professionally, maybe personally, maybe socially, maybe relationally, maybe within themselves, but everybody's got further that they can take themselves. And so we know from the field of adult development um, um, that we're continuously growing and expanding our worldview <clears throat> as we as we learn and experience, and we can no longer resolve the problems that we're creating at the level we're creating it. We have to shift st stages, mm. and so those stages aren't fixed. So so everybody can keep growing. Mm. So so basically, successful, super super successful people have vulnerabilities just like us. Well, you see it in high-performance sports people. You see it in celebrities. You see that they're excelling in one area and absolutely fucking up in the other. Yeah, you I know. know. I know about that. <laughs> just just tanking in 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 areas. So you know, uh, take Will Smith. He's a really good example. You know, yeah. at the, the top, actor Will Smith at the top of his game walks up in the middle of millions, if not billions, of people and slaps a comedian in the face for a joke. Where's that come from? <clears throat> what is Ego. It? Ego. Mm -hmm. from, his, from his desire to support his partner and be seen as a supportive human being, um, it's my imagination, drove him to correct what he saw was uh, unacceptable. But that's a boundary. That's a that's a that's a boundary of mind mm. more than anything else. Mm. So, but we all have that, you know. We all we all have that within us. That that Will Smith within us exists, which is a blind spot until it comes out, and they're like, where, where, where? he'd be like, where the hell did that even come from? Do you think he'd regret it? Partly, mm. still part of him who would be like, well, that's just who I am. Most people might want to do that, the slap, but most people wouldn't. Okay. Sure. I like to think. Sure. But what's, what's the purpose of, what's the intention in doing it? Mm. Was it? Was it actually intentional or was it just losing your shit in the moment? Mm. And is that where coach comes in? Is that where you'd come in and help someone like Will Smith? recognize his weakness? Well, not his weakness because your strength is your weakness. Your weakness is your strength. What, what do you mean by that? So so any strength overdone, if it's not contextual, mm. becomes a weakness, if it becomes habitual. So when when context becomes habit and you've got no choice, it becomes a reaction. It's coming from a less mature version of you. 
And from that less mature version of you, you react what you've react, you've done it before. You're doing it again. It's not coming from the, the, the present you who has all their resources uh, at, the, at hand and access and available. So, you know, that's a coach's role is to help people find what's really going on and what are the resources I need to do to shift this so that I can shift to what's next for me. Okay. So what makes successful people tick, do you think? Why are they so successful? So many reasons. Mm-hmm. What are the top three, do you think? What are their habits? Uh, was top three would be object relations. What does that even mean? <laughs> object relations means that they are attached to being seen in a certain way, so much so that they will not let themselves fail. So is that ego? Yeah, they're yeah. trying to prove themselves to their mum, their dad. You look at the most successful like race car drivers in yeah. the world – their fathers are right beside them all of the time. It's, it's like a, tennis players and Tiger Woods, players. for example. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. They're, they're, they're doing it to prove themselves. That's probably the number one driver of success, but yet it has such a big impact on every other aspect of their lives that, that you know, they, they, they don't feel free to be themselves, for example. So, so you know, they go out and they prove themselves in, in their sport or in their, in their profession. So it would be the number one reason that drives, you know, success. But it's, it's really f- myopic success, success in a specific area. But does that mean that they don't enjoy their success or deep down they want to do something else, but they feel pressure to be this person? Yeah, most most people who are very successful with object relations absolutely want to do something else, but they don't have permission. From themselves? For themselves, yeah. And is that what you, you help unlock that permission? Well, help them find, you know, motivations other than the object relation of trying to prove themselves to the, to one of their parents or, right. you know, it, it, it could be their boss that reminds them of their parents, so on mm-hmm. and so forth. But trying to prove themselves is how they motivate themselves to become really successful. So try, so helping them discover that they've got a single minded motivation strategy, which is working in one area, but not working in other areas. So, so I, I help them understand a how motivation works. Mm-hmm. So you only need to motivate yourself if you're demotivating yourself. Yeah, I remember. Yes, <clears throat> so I remember you saying that when we do our courses. Yeah. Otherwise, there's just movement. So helping them get to their organic movement that just wants to move within them, mm. and if that's to drive a car at 300 kilometers an hour, so be it. If that's to you know, play tennis or box, or if that's to run a, you know, multi-billion dollar corporation, so be it. Mm-hmm. If if you were to list three habits of very successful people, what would they be? And don't say, say, get up early and meditate, surely. No. Okay. What are, what are they? No. Uh, so intention, be, most people who are highly successful are very intentional. They're very, very, very clear on where they're headed and why they're headed there. So he- no head noise? With no that? head noise okay. around that whatsoever. It's just pure clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, they get lost in flow in what they do. What do you mean by that? So Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi talked a lot about flow and you lose yourself to the moment where time and space recedes, it disappears, there's no self. So you're obsessed with what you do? So obsessed, all all that exists in that moment is what you do. Right. And that's why family relations and everything else can crumble along with that. <clears throat> sure. 
Mm-hmm. So, so you know, uh, that that is um, one of the big habits uh, of successful people. So, um, and then, and then reconciling their fears. Which means, what fears would they have? Failure. Not, not, yeah, Fear failure. of failure being failure. the biggest one. Yeah. Reconcil- reconciling their fears against opportunity. And so they're they've got a higher risk tolerance than people who are not successful. They're ready to put more on the table. They're ready to put more in the game. And they're ready to lose more. Absolutely. That's the risk tolerance. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm. Fascinating. Okay. Now, you say coaching isn't easy. What's not easy about coaching? Being a coach or being coached? Both. Okay. So, well, probably being coached, actually. I mean, it's, I know okay. you and I have had a few sessions and we'll get sure. to that later. Um, I don't mind people, I don't mind listeners knowing what went on in our sessions. But yeah, what, why isn't coach, why, why is coaching different to counseling? And what made you become a coach and not a therapist per se? Yeah. So, so the really big difference is the time tense. So, coaching is really present to future focused. Yeah. And, um, uh, therapy is really uh, it's it's um, by virtue it's therapeutic it's fixing the past right <clears throat> so that so the focus is quite different yeah so coaching is a modality into itself where where therapy is really stepping into psychotherapy psychology uh, counseling it, it's it's stepping into you know a, across all of those fields and it's fixing and healing which is necessary. But from a human growth potential, it's not sufficient. It's so, not enough. Yeah, okay. So you can only get to a certain level. Well, it's not developmental. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, it's, it's focus is on healing and fixing and resolving, mm. whereas coaching is not. Coaching is about unleashing potential. Mm. And I've really noticed having coaching with you and doing your coaching courses is that you don't bang on about your childhood, my childhood all the time. And, and you know, oh, I feel like this because my mother said this or my father treated me like this. Which you, is the past. Yeah. Okay. It's not healthy to keep on. Well, it's not, it's not healthy. It's do you need it? Right. Do you need to keep going there? Or- Do people know, use it as an excuse, do you think? If it does come up, mm. how's it serving you to hold on to it now? Let's look at why you're holding on to it rather than look at what you're holding on to. So that would be the really, really big difference is, is therapy tends to be about the content, the story that the person's caught up in. Mm-hmm. Coaching is about context, process, and structure. It's, we're not interested in the story. We're interested in how your constructing your thought patterns that drives how you make meaning out of the story. Mm-hmm. So, so quite different to that. So, so it's not, and it's not historic, it's how you're doing it now. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in where it comes from f- with you. I'm interested in why you're running it now. What's the, what's the intention, the positive intention, and are you achieving it? And if not, does the strategy need to change? Yeah, and I think a lot of people can get stuck in, I've had a bad childhood, therefore these are the excuses for my behaviour and why I'm not successful and why I behave the way I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've done it myself. I think, well, you know, if I had pair, just you know, a functional family, I wouldn't have done made the choices I made. But it's probably just, you know, that was in the past, as you say. And I'm no longer a 15 year old girl. You know, I'm a 49 year old adult. Am I still going to go back to behaving like a 15 year old girl? So coaching's about waking up, waking up to the personality habits. It's about the bringing bringing that into your attentional field. You're already aware of it, mm-hmm. so it's bringing it into and attending to it, and then it's doing the work of growing up 
So growing yeah. up means broadening your perspectives, means expanding your view to take not only your subjective view, but to take an objective view and to start to take a collective view. When you start to expand your perspectives, you start to grow up because you can make much more complex and discerning decisions. Mm -hmm. So we, we help people grow up. We help wake up, grow up. Then we help them do the work of cleaning up, which is taking responsibility for shifting the stuff that they need to shift. Yeah, in. because ultimately it's our responsibility for ourselves. Most of that shadow material. Is what, do, the, what do you mean by shadow material? The stuff that we project on other people. Right. So anything you don't like in another person is likely it's you. Yes, and I remember you saying actually, and I've used this myself because I'm guilty of this. I remember you saying that someone once said to you something like, "I didn't expect you to be so old." And by the way, Jay's not old. Um, or, or some, do you remember? And you, you said to him, what's your, for, for him to say that, he must have a fear of growing old. Do there you must remember be that? a frame in there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So sure. tell me about that. Well, projection is, is, a, right, projection. is a psychological um, um, uh, process that we all go through and it's healthy. Yeah. So if, if we can't handle the parts of ourselves, that we don't like about ourselves, then we project them on other people and then bother ourselves with them, with, with what we don't for like example, about ourselves in them. For example, give, give an example. <clears throat> well, uh, I don't like rude people. So uh, I, I was with my son, my two sons and my wife. We were out to um, dinner. It was my birthday. My son worked at a French restaurant. He was a dish pig. <laughs> and... Um, he said, he gave us a lecture before we went in and he said, right, this is my workplace. He's 15. This is my workplace. You come in here, you behave yourselves. Enough, no shenanigans. Enough. I get that. You know, you particularly pointed at me, behave yourself. Now, I've had a I couple can't of, imagine why he was I've doing had a couple it. of beers by this stage. <laughs> That's like a red rag to a bull. And so we're, we're, we're sat there, we're cracking jokes and he's like, shh, keep it down, keep it down. And we were just having a bit of fun and, and a woman came up from the table behind us when she was leaving and she interrupted our conversation. She, she went, excuse me. And she didn't wait for us or ask mm -hmm. permission. She said, excuse me. She said, how aware are you that my wife has hair about as long as yours, mm -hmm. that you shook your hair and she put her in a ponytail yeah. and it touched my daughter. Right. And my wife was like mortified, went bright red. Oh my God. I, I, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. And then she went, we're trying to teach her manners. <laughs> and then as she turned around, I went, excuse me. Oh, God. And she turned around and Wrong I said, person. how aware are you that by your own standards, you rudely interrupted our conversation without asking? Oh. And she went, oh, and walked off. My son was like, dad, what are you doing? This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> but there's, well, that's a good point. there's shadow. She was being rude. She was being rude. She was telling you off for being rude. By, by her being, own standards, yeah, by not by rude. mine. Yeah. So, so shadow is seeing that, that you know, it, it, it is through our values, our standards, that we're judging what we're seeing in others. So it must come from us. Right. And so that's the material to clean up. And so the and that's way, what coaches, that's where coaches come in. So you can point that out to someone. We can not only point it out, but ask them, do they have permission to reown that part of themselves? Do they have permission to allow that part of themselves to exist? And they'll say no. And so then it's got no other place to go except to show up in others. Right. That must be pretty confronting for people. It when, can be, When yeah. you sh basically shove a mirror on their face. Sure. And that's why coaching can be difficult. Yeah. Because it's, it's direct. 
That's yeah. what I like about it. You're always direct with me and I really like that. It's to the point mm-hmm. and there's no subjectivity in it. It's objective. It's looking at objective patterns, not not what I subjectively think of those patterns, but you've got to be the one who brings your subjectivity to it and goes, that's serving you. Mm. And more often it's not. Okay, so I studied NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming. I've done it with you guys, the coaching room, and I've done it twice. For people listening, what is the sort of dummy version of NLP and why is it so great? Because it is, it really is. And when I came out and said publicly that I'd done NLP, I had a flurry of people wanting to be coached by me because they were so fascinated by NLP. What is it? Well, it it doesn't actually exist. So it is a, it is a, 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 an approach to psychology. So it's a process. Yeah. And it's a, a near concept model. NLP stands for neuro linguistic programming. Neuro is your neurology. Mm-hmm. Linguistics is how you language your experience and how that is grounded in your neurology and how that operates and becomes habitual, therefore programs, neuro linguistic programs, mm-hmm. programming. And so it's a communication model. In simple terms, it's the study of subjectivity. It's the study of how you think, feel, that drives what you say and what you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's the beliefs, the values, the identity structures, the thinking patterns, the cognitive biases, how all of that runs and forms your view and filters in and out reality for you. Okay. So let's say someone comes to you and said, I'm really depressed. I'm lonely. Uh, I, I feel that nothing goes right for me. Blah, right. blah, blah. What, what would be the NLP version? What would you say as an NLP coach? Well, first, I'd, I'd ask nothing. Nothing goes right for you. Absolutely nothing. And then I'd say most things. And I could go, okay, so when you say most things, what do you mean? Let's get clear. I've got no friends. I'm single. You've got no friends? Right, so you break it down. We have to, yeah, because otherwise it's just gross generalizations. Yeah, and people and, believe that, don't they? Well, that's the that's the global thinking structure that's driving their experience. It's not the content of I have actually got no friends, mm-hmm. but it's the it's the processing of the global view that I have no friends, even though where are you going this evening, or I'm going out with a friend. Right. Okay. Um, oh, oh, let's say someone says, I feel really overweight. I want to lose 10 kilos in six months. Great. What stops you? Okay. Well, my mind. What about your mind stops you? Um, I guess I'm lazy. Okay. So and then you work out. You What define, let's denominalize lazy. Right. What does lazy mean? So you're prioritizing something over what you say you want, which is to lose weight. Yeah. What are you prioritizing? Okay. You know, laziness sounds like comfort to me. Right. Do, do people get pissed off when you throw it back in there? Well, I'll throw it back in your face, but when you challenge them with that, do they get a bit stickly? If, 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 if there isn't a good level of ego strength, people won't come back, mm. which is quite fine. We're, we're, we're 100% okay with that. That's, that's well, your choice. you mean choice. they don't come back and see you again? Never. Oh, right. Why? Because they're so insulted? Not insulted, just I think. For, for some people, it's just too much. Right. It becomes overwhelming to, to, to look at themselves in that way. They're not ready for it. And I understand that. It's not, not like, oh, you're not ready for it. It's like, I get you're not ready for it. Do you say that? Yeah. No right. worries. I can understand that. It's human. Yeah. yeah. It's just human stuff. So if you're not ready for it, carry on. Yeah. If you're not ready to look at why you aren't able to do what you say you want to do and you're not ready to look at what's true, I understand. Keep doing it then. 
Okay. So if someone says, I keep losing my jobs, I keep being made redundant, you know, everything else is wrong with the company, it's not me, where would you go with that? How's that a problem for you? Don't assume the problem and ask them, how's that a problem for you? assume the problem, of course, yes. How's that a problem for you? Okay. How's that a problem for you? So I had a client one time who came and I hadn't seen him for a couple of months and he turned up and he and I said, How are you going? And he said, Shit. <laughs> I said, What's 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 denominalized shit? What's shit look like? And he said, Well, my wife left me. Right. And I said, it, when you say left, left literally emptied the house and left me. Emptied the bank account. Goodbye, Bob. Did, did a goodie. I'm not coming back. Yeah. And I said, Okay. How's that a problem for you? <laughs> and was it? And he said, how do you think it's a fucking problem for me, Jay? And I said, well, I'm not going to assume. Did say it like that? Yeah, I'm not going to assume the problem, hence I'm asking, Bob. How's it a problem? He said, I feel emasculated. Right. I said, say more about being emasculated. He said, my mother made me feel like that. So I said, did you marry your mother? Right. And God, went, what did he say And then? he went silent like silent for about two minutes. And he said, I guess I did. And he said, oh, shit, I can see my part in it now. Right. So that's just, that's just I don't assume, as a coach, you can't assume the problem. You've got to be able to help the client articulate how it's a problem specifically for them subjectively. Because otherwise I'm just overlaying my mind reads on them. And that's not coaching. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I'm happy to talk about our sessions because I know people want to know when I came to you or when you were my coach and we've had numerous sessions together, I just left sex work and I was feeling, I've been diagnosed with bipolar too. I was on the medication and the reality of what I'd done in the past decade really hit me, you know, going public, announcing on national television that I was an escort, writing two books. And, you know, in one, one hand, I felt really empowered by doing it and strong and courageous. And I know it's helped so many people in their stories, but you know, because I've talked to you about this deep down, I felt inherently guilty and ashamed of my behavior and actions. Um, and it was quite unbearable. Can you talk me through your take on shame, particularly when it comes to, you know, sex work and, and our society that loves to stigmatize sex work? Well, it's shadow material. What does that mean? Exactly? So, well, I don't know a human being that, 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 doesn't have sexual drive and sexual needs, not a single one. And so to reject that within yourself, to reject that desire, that, 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 and as a human, it's, it's, it's at the bottom of the physiological needs is sex. To reject that within yourself is, is to turn it into shadow material so that you're just going to piss yourself off with everybody else who seems to have permission to be liberal. Right. So we become very fixated on on pulling down and tearing down people who don't have a problem and have worked through that stuff for themselves and are happily expressing and happily happy to stand in the light of their decision to to express themselves as a sexual being so to to repress that is is to bring wrongness to that and so, you know, um, I'm not, I don't, I'm not anti-religious, but religion does that. Religion is very it. black and white. You yeah. can, you can't. It's very rule driven and rule oriented. And a lot of that, you know, anti-sex and particularly escorting, et cetera, comes from, you know, the field of, of, of the pious. 
if you like. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you, you, that's evil. That's, that's against God's view, et cetera, et cetera. And so we, we get that into our system very young. And then we start to taboo the feelings that are coming up organically within ourselves. And we start to shame. Do you think that a lot of the anger towards me or towards sex workers is about fear as well? That it's triggered something for someone? Shadow material. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Why would they be angry about you doing it then? Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Like I've, I've received, not to my face, obviously, but, you know, it's particularly with articles and columns I write, there's a lot of anger and disgust at, at who I am. You know, where does that, where, what is that about? It's shadow projection. It's that right. they don't have permission to express that part of themselves. So do you think it's jealousy? Or envy? I don't think it's, that would have to be conscious. Right. I don't think it's conscious. I think I think it's largely unconscious that they haven't looked at that part of themselves and began to question it because it's too painful. When they look at it, it's like, no, no, that's not a part of me I wanna I wanna look at. It's not a part of me I want to engage. So it's got no choice but to show up in others. Right. So their their reaction to me or people like me is about themselves. Well, let's take the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take you all the way back to the 60s. Yeah. And in the 1960s, there was a study in America. Yeah. And you know that the 60s was the great rebellion, the great standing up and standing for things other than myself. So standing for women's rights, standing for gay rights, standing for black rights, mm -hmm. where white people would begin to march on behalf of black people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so there, there, there was an uprising. Then during the anti-gay marches, there were people who would lie in the streets and be anti-anti-gay. They'd be anti-anti-gay. They'd be pious, like, like that's wrong, right. you're going to burn in hell. A bit, uh, extremes. Yeah. Extremists. Extre if you like, fundamentalists. Right. Uh, rather than extreme. Yeah. It's just fundamental views. But they're projecting those fundamental views going, you're wrong, you're going to burn in hell, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There was a study done by a group on 100 men who stood there saying, you're evil, you're shit, you're going to burn in hell, Did took them and they agreed to the study and they, they put um, straps around their penises <laughs> and they played them gay movies. Stop it. I know what you're going to say. They got hard-ons. Uh, they got, and then, and then they had he just genuinely heterosexual uh, uh, men. They did the same wow. test. It was three times the Stop. amount of hard-ons than the heterosexual men who were comfortable with their sexuality. It was like, I'm comfortable watching this. I've got no problem with it. These people are going, I'm uncomfortable with it, getting hard-ons. Hello. That doesn't surprise that me. That is shadow material 101. And, you know, it's funny because men who are anti-sex work or, 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 you know, put me down for what for my choices, it's like they're men. Like I, I mean, escorts wouldn't exist if it wasn't for men. They're the ones going out and getting the escorts. Right, okay. But, but can't stand that side of themselves. Yeah. That's yeah. shadow. Now, I am not judging that. Let's be really, really clear about that, that that's their right I'm on, I'm on board with that because if they don't have, if they don't have the psychological strength, the ego strength, if you like, to, to be with and allow that part of themselves, then to project it is healthy. Because if they don't have the ego strength and they hold on to it, then that's where your psyche can crack. And that's where mental health issues will generally come from, either abuse, where you couldn't handle the part of yourself that was being abused by the abuser, 
and, and maybe even in that abuse, there was a part of you who who was on board with it as yeah. well as not on board it's complex, with it. Simultaneous, it? complex. Yeah, it's right? very complex. So, so then if you don't have the psychological strength to deal with that, projecting it is saving your mental health, even though it's not great for the people you're projecting it on. Sure. For you, it's healthy. So it's got a positive intention, do you see? So I'm not saying, you know, that's wrong. Mm. In our view, there is, there isn't a right or wrong. There's a, does it serve you? Are you aware of it? Mm-hmm. Can you, can you choose other than that? Or have you got to choose that? Mm. And if you've got to choose it and it's not serving you, are you ready to change it? Mm. I remember when we were having our sessions and I was, you know, telling you about the guilt I felt and um, you said society has to grow the fuck up Um, can you tell me a bit more about that well that's the growing up society needs to be able to look past its own biases and rules those rules aren't fixed those rules are mental rules what do you mean by mental rules? Mental rules, boundaries. People call them boundaries. Psychologists call them boundaries. Right. They're mental boundaries. You know, I have to have a boundary where enough's enough and I need to be able to say, you can't speak to me like that. That's That would be a boundary. Now, that both serves you and holds you back because right. the moment someone speaks to you like that, you've got the problem, right? Because right. now I'm going, <laughs> you can't speak to me like that, yet you're speaking to me like, yeah. oh, I've got a problem now. Yeah. Whereas if you were able to say, I'm happy for you to speak like that, I'm not going to stay here and listen to it, though. I hope you're okay with that. And that that really helped me. Or I tell you what, you you keep going, but I am not particularly interested in the conversation. Yes, yes. So that is becoming more internally referent than externally referent. And you're right. And when I hear things like, oh, you you know, some terrible things, which I don't really want to say here, but when I heard things like, you're a a slut, you're a whore, or when I read them, it's it's, you really taught me how to have sort of a steel gate around me so I don't, it's like a mirror, so it reflects off me onto them. It's not not about me. No. Their reaction is not about me, and you really helped me see that. It's telling you about their taboos, Mm. not yours. Mm, mm. But the moment that you own it, they don't get to see it. What do you mean? Well, the moment that you take it on board and you go, how rude, don't you dare talk to me like that, they've won. Right. They've gotten in. Okay. But if you're genuinely like that, that, that is – Utterly irrelevant. Actually, it's only relevant because I now know more about your taboos than mine. Right. I now know that you've got rules and structures in place that you you can't go past. I know that's going to be a limitation for you. And I remember you saying that when someone insults you or is rude to you, you go, that's an interesting response. (laughs) That's an interesting thing to say. Not only an interesting thing to say, but but what must be going on for you to, to, to be projecting that on me? Right. So I'm sure some of your listeners right now yeah. are projecting stuff on oh, me. Oh, totally. I'm very comfortable yeah. with that. <laughs> hey, project away. Yeah. But, but you know, it, it's it's when we have no choice but to project upon others because we're not comfortable with that within ourselves that it becomes a psychological problem right. for us. Yeah. And it'll, it'll govern our experience so without do you, doubt. Do you think sex work will always be stigmatised in our society? Do you think- No. No? Okay. Tell not me at what, all. Tell me what, when? When is it going to When we grow over? the fuck up. Right. When was a society, we're able to see from a fifth person perspective, which is to reference first person, second person, third person, and fourth person perspectives, hold all of them without preferencing any of them. Okay. So for, for the average person listening, they wouldn't understand what that means. What does that actually mean? In, so uh, first person is my view. 
Yeah, we all have one. So let's say in this in this instance, sex work. So my view is sex work's fine if it's up to the adult. Sure. And okay. Yeah. So, yep. so second person is is now what we think, what's culturally relevant, what's culturally okay. Now culture says, on one hand. It's okay because it's legal. Yes. And on the other hand, it's still immoral. Right. Right? Yes. So that's the second person view. Yeah. Third person view is to objectify it. Which well, means- Sex is just simply uh, a, a biological drive within us. Yeah. And if we don't fulfill it, it can come up in pretty fucked up ways. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's that view. And then fourth person perspective is that, you know, uh, each of us has object relations and each of us has psychological. We need to be held. We need to, 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 to be close to other human beings. So the emotional side of things. Well, is not only right? the emotional, but we're relational beings. Right. That we need to, re- we need to be close to other human beings. We need, we're social beings. Yes. We're relational beings. We need to, uh, 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 the quality of our life is the quality of our connection when relationships with people. Yes. Connection so, is everything. And that's, you know, that brings me to my next question, but let's go on about this. So, so then, so then, you know, if you look at across all perspectives, then you can see the subjective, you can see the, the cultural, you can see the objective, you can see the systemic. I can see all of those perspectives. Now, as I hold all those without preferencing any of them, and I look at sex work, it's fulfilling a human need. If the human need wasn't there, it wouldn't be there. So this is all human stuff. Why do we have such a problem with it? Really? Because of our past, because of second person, mainly because of second person perspective, that, 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 you know, there, there is an older version of us as human beings that is holding on to rules and structures which don't fit with societies, Mm. which society's complex. Mm. You know, reality shows will put drug dealers on there, convicted drug dealers on there, but a sex worker, they, they wouldn't, you know, why is that? Those reasons. Right. That it's, that it's, you know, we've, we've to some extent tabooed it within ourselves. So we've tabooed it together culturally. And it's so bizarre because it's a billion dollar industry in the world and it, we pretend it doesn't exist. But it, it, it's not only that, it's one of the fundamental core drives and needs of a human being. Yeah. To deny that within yourself, as I say, it's going to come out in pretty fucked up ways. Yeah. For example, kitty fiddling, mm-hmm. you know, just like, I don't know. Did you see the Dalai Lama a, a, yes. a week? I mean, that's odd. Yeah, I mean, another one. I just think I just looked at him and just went another one. You I, know, I, I like, don't know if that's true or not, but it's odd. Well, what's it about? I mean, there's I some Tibetan rule that you can do. I don't know. It's just who makes these rules. So, so I'm not saying that's true there, but it's certainly true for many of us. Well, I mean, I guess it's like Catholic priests, would it be? Well, not only that, but but, but I, I, I some, could, some I could, Catholic priests. I could point to you and go, man, you got clients where you must see some pretty weird shit uh, in, I in, don't. in, in I your clients' the, needs. Right. I mean, I used to back in the day, but but yeah, some of them were weird. I mean, I remember one. Okay, well, analyze this. One man wanted me to punch him. Right. Because his wife had an affair and he didn't feel good enough. So he wanted to feel pain. What's that What's that coming from? Well, that's coming from, again, uh, the self-belief structure that I'm, you know, not good enough or I'm worthless or I'm shit and that's the reason and now I need to be punished becomes sexualized. Right. right now, it's now it's become part of my sexuality, not just it's 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 crossed contexts. Yeah, you know another one which I find bizarre is when clients, and it happened more than once. Did you punch him? 
Oh, I'm so. I mean, you might look at my wrists. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so, look. I felt so bad. Also, it was a really hot day, and I wanted to offer him a water, but he said, "Don't offer me a water." And so I thought, "Oh my god, I'm not. I'm not paid enough for this." I'm um, not, but yeah, yeah, true. Um, another guy, and this actually happened a few times. Uh, one would say, "Talk dirty to me," so I'd talk dirty, and then he went, "No, no, tell me you love me." And I'm, I'm like, it's, it happened more than once with different men. They want to be told they're loved. So that's polarities. What does that mean? You know, talk dirty to me. No, tell me you love me. No, talk dirty to me. No, tell me you love me. They're opposing opposites, right? So they're, they're, they're shifting between the polarities within themselves. Probably both of those things are tabooed in their mind's eye. Right. I, I thought it was about them wanting to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved and all human personality is about manipulating uh, other people to get that love. No doubt about it. That's the, that's the crude, hard truth of personality structure. The personality structure is a coping mechanism to help you get what you're looking for, what you think is missing, what you think was missing in your childhood, what you think is missing in your relationships to get that and, and, and to manipulate ourselves to be you know, providers of love. So personality is all about getting love. Everybody wants to be loved. That's why I've got animals. Um, okay, I wrote a, a column recently for the Daily Mail on the top reasons men cheat and pay for sex. And the number one reason was emotional connection. Are you surprised by this? That the one thing they're looking for was connection, not sex necessarily. It was the yeah. human connection. Uh, uh, no, I'm not surprised at all because most people aren't connected with their own emotions. Right. Tell me more about that. Well, they're not. They're not connected with themselves. You mean men in particular? And fulfilling their own needs and finding their voice to be able to voice what they need. Mm. They're they're too afraid of being rejected, for example. So they push it down, and then bang, it'll come up in an affair, or it'll come up, you know, it comes out in other ways because it gets it gets suppressed. Mm. So you think that's why men cheat? Do you think is that the number one? I mean, that's what they told me, but I don't know all men. You've well, spoken their, to men too. From their subjective perspective, it'll be a belief that they're not getting what they need. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But the, but the other side of that, the psychological side of that, particularly developmental psychology is, uh, is that Abraham Maslow is really clear on this that a person. Who's Abraham Maslow for the listeners? Uh, he's, he was a, a psychiatrist and developmentalist from the forties, fifties and sixties. Probably the most, uh, probably the original, um, developmentalist, mm-hmm. um, uh, after Piaget. So probably. Piaget was probably the original developments. He was, he was studying health, what he called healthy people. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't studying sickness. Mentally healthy people. But, but looking at mentally healthy people and what made them different. Okay. And so, uh, he, he coined the term self-actualization. And he was really, really clear that in studying self-actualizing people, people who were at the top of their game, the difference that made the difference from his perspective was the realization that no one can fulfill my needs but me. So we believe that? We don't have to believe it. It's a human truth. Oh, it's true. No one can fulfill your needs. So what happens is we we suppress something within ourselves. It comes up and then we look for other people to fulfill it. But the problem is it gives us short-term fulfillment. Because it's not coming from within, it's coming from without. Yeah. So it's coming from a place of lack. Is that why men see sex workers, do you think? From potentially, because that's a projected onto them, right? Their sense of lack offsets my 
you know, sense of lack. Well, you, you know, you're more ethically compromised than me, even though I'm doing it with you. Hello? Oh, look, I, I, I've lost <laughs> count the amount, the number of men that used to say to me, why are you doing this? You should miss. Yeah, hello? I just like, I remember one man said, why are you doing this job? Uh, why, why isn't a woman like you in a relationship? And I said to him, what, like you? You know, he's a married man. And I thought, why what dare you say hell? that to me? You're the one that's married and you're cheating behind your wife's back and you have an issue with me? Now, the only shift from that, Amanda, is realising that all he's doing is projecting. Right. I was really upset, actually. I thought, oh, right. I'm a shit person. I shouldn't be doing this. Right. I should be in a now relationship. You've owned it, right? No, I've owned it. Yeah. That's what he wanted. Right. He wanted to offset it within himself. Did he do that on purpose, do you think, or subconsciously? Uh, unconsciously. Right. But he needed to offset that and place it upon you so that he I could- I felt so bad. Of course you did, because that's what he wanted. Right. So he could feel better about himself. Like, that's the ego. That's how the ego works. So so when you're able to, to free yourself from the egoic conditions of the needs of the ego, you just realize that the needs below that are very, very different. They're, they're, it's like they start out as an essential need and they get twisted like a cherry tree. They get twisted and they turn and they get contorted as we push them down and reject them within ourselves. When those needs are cleanly expressed, they're expressed with an open heart, an open gut, and an open mind. Then, th then, then the realization is, hey, it's let's take love. Yeah, you can't give me love. Are you aware of that? No, I'm not aware of that. I thought I could give you love. Give me love. I G love you. Give it to me. I love you, and here's a hug. That's words. Give me love. Right. I show, I do things for That's you. That's a dem demonstration, but what's the love? Okay. You well, can't. But those things mean that I love you. Yeah, but you see, you go, I love you, mm. and that matches my criteria for feeling loved. It's me who switches on love, not you. Right, because it's a feeling. It's I, a, ca I can't bottle it and give it to you. It's a feeling. Right. Subjective. You can't give me love. You can meet the conditions I put upon who defines love, you know, who defines the love? Subjective. Yeah. So I'll put conditions upon, you know, I know I'm loved when, and when you meet those conditions, I'll switch love on. But it's me switching it on, not you, don't, me. Don't say that to all the men because then they'll stop booking escorts. <laughs> so, so, so uh, doubtful <laughs> that, that people can know that cognitively, but to know it, and an embodied way is a very different experience. So what should I have said to that man? I just went back into myself and I just felt like a shit person. I thought he's yeah. right. Why am I doing this? I should be in a relationship. But at the back of my mind, I thought, well, mate, you are. You're in a relationship. I don't want to be like you. So what should I have said to him or what should anyone say in those situations? Thank you for sharing your perspective. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like to me you have permission to fully be here, but I do. Oh, I wish, I wish I'd known you then. <laughs> Um, but you get I've, the sense of what that the impact that would have on yes. him. It helps him wake up to what's actually true without judgment. It's 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 a it's an objective statement. Because mm. because I'm fully on board with being here. Can you say the same? Given you're here. Yeah, I mean, it sounds so obvious when you say it, but when in the moment I was devastated. It was like a knife through like, my heart. No, I don't have permission to be here. I feel really guilty about it. I'm going to go hence the comment. I can understand that then. As long as he doesn't ask for his money back. Well, he's not getting it. <laughs> but uh, did you ever watch Star Trek? So back in the day. For the, for the rule of the Ferengi, once you've got their money, never give it back. Oh, is that Star Trek? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes me laugh. So so in your opinion, what do men need? What are, what are the top things that men need that they're not very good at getting or asking for? 
What do you know? Even your successful people, your really, powerful- they need to they need to um, find their voice and and realize that there's no failure, only feedback. Mm, I love that because fear of failure drives people not leaving it all on the table, leaving it all out in the field, giving their all in the world and seeing where where their edge is. Mm. And so it's not just men, but human beings. But, you know, and, and, then, and then the third thing would be really to, to get more comfortable with their sexual self. With How ex- do you even do that? Allowing the thoughts and feelings that go on within their neurosemantic system to exist for a start. Okay, but let's say you're married and you've been married for 25, 30 years and you're not happy with your sex life. Either of you aren't happy with your sex life. How do you go around fixing that or trying to make it better? Well, the first conversation has got to be with your partner to go, this ain't really working for me. Is it working for you? Mm. And, uh, is the, you know, it, yet, yet this works. This part of our relationship works really well. And this part of our relationship works really well. We, we might have beautiful kids together, but this part doesn't. Being able to go, I'd like to be able to talk through that. I'd, be, I'd like to be able to put it on the table and l- look at how how can we go about uh, shifting and changing that. Or if it's not changeable, then how can we go about looking at it in other ways? Mm. It's called integrity. Yes. Integrity with yourself. So when people cheat, they don't cheat on their partner. They cheat on themselves. What do you mean by that? Well, they're breaking their own integral rules, not their partners necessarily, but first and foremost, they've made a commitment to their partner that they're now breaking. That means that it, it first and foremost, they're breaking their own integrity. Mm. So it's about them, not you. Someone cheats on you, it's about them, it's not you. Yeah. I, I, wrote, I, I said it's not your fault. If someone cheats, if your husband cheats on you, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Mm. It's about them and their lack of integrity. Because if they had integrity, they'd come and have a conversation and go, hey, I'm going to go shag someone. As I, 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 I my, my, my needs are unfulfilled. We've tried to have the conversations. Nothing's changed. Nothing. And so I, 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 I'm not blaming you, sweetheart, but I'm telling you what I'm going to go and do. Mm, mm. And the partner would go, no, that's unacceptable. And I'm going to go then, let's break the relationship down. Mm, mm. If that, if that's a taboo and it's not acceptable and you're not okay talking about it, you're not okay changing it, then see you later. Yeah. I mean, is it that easy though? Well, to no, have that not. conversation with your partner? It's not because there are many, you know, relationships are complex, human beings are complex, and we bring other contexts into it like kids, mm-hmm. finances, uh, where we live. There's threats of violence. Yeah. Um, and there's it's not emotional just- violence. There's, you know, there's so many variables in there. And Amanda. it's not just it's, men that cheat. No, sure. But so many variables mm. in there. But it's, 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 it's really about having integrity and 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 starting a conversation and having the balls to be able to to be able to have the conversation is really the biggest problem. Yeah. I think that's what it is. And when I heard a lot of married men say their relationships aren't happy or their sex they have no sex at home or they sleep in separate beds, the first thing I always say is, Have you spoken to your wife about it? And the answer was always no. no. Hello. Yeah. And they, instead they pay thousands of dollars to see an escort, but they don't think of even talking to their wife because they're too scared. Not only thousands of dollars to see an escort, but thousands of dollars to see a bloody therapist yeah. at the same time. <laughs> and to see a coach, a very good one, by the way. Um, and just one more, anyone who's listening to this who might be struggling um, with various things, you know, loneliness, mental health, what, what tools would you give? If you have to give a quick toolkit to someone struggling at the moment. Look, go go get yourself... Go get yourself a coach would be the the 
the best thing. I mean, you know, go learn NLP to learn about how your subjective mind works so that you can start taking responsibility and accountability for how those thoughts work. That's the first thing, to understand mm-hmm. where they come from, why they exist, what their positive intention is, and being able to, once you have an understanding of that, change the strategy to get more of what you want. Okay. So so NLP provides a lot of kind of tools, but I'm not pro just NLP. I'm not an evangelist for NLP. Yeah. NLP is a communication model that is a means, it's a developmental model, so learning it develops you. But there are other developmental models. There's integral theory, which I think transcends and includes NLP and, and provides so much more. And that's what that yep. that brings in perspectives, which we've spoken a bit about, first, second, third, fourth, fifth. And it brings in, you, you know, developmental psychology and it brings in the stages of human development. And it's really the study of how human beings grow or don't. Right. Yep. So both those give an immense amount of awareness, bring things into the attentional field, give you tools and strategies mm-hmm. to understand. You know, find find a, a really good coach who's done the work themselves. A coach can only take you as far as they've gone. So, so you know, how long have they spent on their development? You know, and, and, and what have they worked on? for themselves is, is, is really important. But if you can find a coach that can see what you can't see really easily and really quickly, then they can, they can facilitate your growth in a very, very fast manner, mm-hmm. much faster than you could do on your own. A.H. Alma said, uh, that, you know, development on your own is, is, is about the same chance as a church mouse finding God. <laughs> okay. So, so find someone that you really connect with that challenges the hell out of you. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one, actually. What else? Go do some reading. Go, 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 go do some reading. Integral Theory has got, Ken Wilber has written 35, 40 books. Okay. NLP has, uh, there's a bunch of really good material. I would go back to the founders, Grinder and Bandler on that one, and maybe Robert Diltz. Um, go read, go, go like, don't sit there and wait for life to happen. Go make it happen. That's great advice. Thank you, Jay. Thank you so much. I feel like I've had a free session. You'll start, you'll start charging me soon. Um, if you're interested in booking Jay or signing up to one of his courses at the coaching room, which I really recommend because I've done three, um, head to his website, thecoachingroom.com.au. Thanks for listening to this episode. I'll be back next week with another interesting guest. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at samantha at samanthax.com.au. And you can also find me on Instagram, Amanda Goff Official, to stay in touch. Thank you, Jay. That was fantastic. That was really interesting. Some interesting, fascinating feedback on sex work. So thank you. That's been a wonderful, wonderful time together. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Exposed. If you enjoyed this episode, there's plenty more to come. Episodes are released fortnightly and hit follow so you don't miss out. And for more goodness from your host, visit the show notes.